You love true crime stories, and obviously you love podcasts. Do you also love reading? If so, you need to know about a new book coming out called Knock Knock, the debut of author Stephen Thomas. It's a fictional story about two true crime podcasters focusing on the crimes of the notorious Knock Knock killer. But as they get closer and closer to finding the identity of the killer, they start getting threats to shut down the podcast or they would suffer the same fate as his previous victims. The book is self-published and comes out Tuesday, May 9th. It's available for pre-order from Barnes & Noble, Amazon, and many other booksellers. Check the link in our show notes to get this in your hot little hands. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Crime and Coffee Couple. My name's Allison. It is. And my name's Mike. Hi, Mike. Hey. How's it going? Oh, good, good. We are a weekly true crime podcast. Did you know that? I I knew that, yes. Haven't missed a week yet, knock on wood. Um, Knock on our foreheads right there. And uh, we come to you and uh, bring you different stories that we've heard. And uh, our listeners are pretty awesome. We've had a lot of suggestions Mm -hmm. and uh, they've been spot on. So uh, if there's enough around them, then we definitely try to get to them. Um, And, uh, you know, I I always tell our listeners that suggest things through Instagram or whatever it may be that I put it in Allison's research file box. So Mm -hmm. I send it over to you. You're like, cool, thanks a lot. You put it up in your whatever wizardry you got going on there yeah, i've got a lot of wizardry happening yeah yeah so um you know thanks for listening to us and uh, if you love us quite a bit there's uh, some merchandise and t-shirts so those have been still going on and uh yeah if you want to wear them and you know, be loud and proud tell your family friends all those good things co-workers we'd appreciate it we sure would so how's this week going for you it's another week yeah. in paradise. I know um, you had a little bit too much to drink last night. And by too much to drink, I mean um, water, seltzer water. It's uh, water. Topo Chico. Yeah, the, she's all into this now, folks. So we'll see how long this lasts. If you're watching the video uh, that comes out usually Tuesday or Wednesday, uh, she's she's very happy about her Topo Chico. They're so delicious. Yeah, um, it's something, I don't know. I, I saw like the seltzer, the alcohol seltzer, but I, I've heard that, you know, a lot of people drink Topo Chico uh, mineral water, mm-hmm. sparkling mineral water, and here it is. It's, it comes in a bottle, pretty cool looking, uh, if you're not like an alcohol drinker like us. Um, it's something something to have and, you know, seems festive and it's Refreshing. still delicious. I guess it's like naturally uh, carbonated. And this isn't an ad, by the way. This is just us talking about stuff. So Yeah, it's really good. And we squeeze a lemon slice into it or lime, whichever one you're feeling, whichever one you have on hand. Yeah, any, either way, it works. Orange might be good. Yeah, hey, who knows? Get crazy. Get nuts. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and if we lose, like, if this is a, a weird situation where we lose power or something, we've got like a tornado watch going on right now. Yeah, until like 10 p.m., so like the next six hours. Yeah. Yeah, so we should be uh, hunkered down somewhere, but uh, we don't have a basement or anything in Florida. They're, they're kind of rare. Yeah, pretty much nobody has basements in this state. Yeah. And we had to give our dog her, as our kids call it, doggy weed. It's like these calming treats that she is just crazy during storms. She loses her mind. Yeah. So I gave it to her with her peanut butter and she should be chill. Yeah, we'll see. We'll I think see. she's probably gonna be a little crazy. If you're watching YouTube, she just jumped on my lap and then jumped back to you. So. She's very unsettled. She likes to try to get up inside you is what we try to say. In, inside of our souls. She wants to be back in utero. I yes, think she feels think like so. just uh, just not safe enough. Yeah. Um, and I'm even having a little cappuccino here. You made me one. An espresso actually. Oh, oh an espresso. That's yeah. A, yeah. No milk in that bad boy. Right, right, right. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm ready to go. But uh, before we do, 
If you're you know enjoying what you're listening to, if you could leave us a review on any platform that you're listening to, that'd be fantastic. We always appreciate those reviews. Here's one from uh, Audible. It says, better than the rest. I've heard lots of other crime Ooh. podcasts, and I have to say, Mike and Allison totally crush it. It is so clear that they put a lot of time and effort into the research of the stories. Their own personal stuff added to the mix is very entertaining and a cherry on top of great storytelling. Love them. Please keep being awesome. That's from uh, Mo- uh, Noni, it looks like. What a nice review. So thank you so much. Very kind. If you could do the same on your platform of choice, it'd be much appreciated. Very much. It's free to way to support us, too. Exactly. And, uh, you know, I don't know about you, but I, we don't have a ton of ads. So sure, there is one today that uh, I have putting in there. But uh, we don't do a ton of them. I try to make sure it's only, you know, people that are worth it and everything. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, if you could support us in other ways, it'd be awesome. Yes. So if you're ready, I am. I am, too. Let's do this thing. So I know you mentioned that we've been doing a lot of listener suggestions, and this one follows suit. This is a suggestion from Anna Michelle. So thank you so much for this. Best listeners ever. This is the murder of Jennifer Dulos. So on Friday, May 24th, 2019, which was my 40th birthday. Yeah, it was. Uh, and our anniversary, mind yes, you. Yes, exactly. More so, importantly, thank you very much. Uh, Mike, my birthday should not be overshadowed by our anniversary oh, because true. we wouldn't have an anniversary if I wasn't born. True. So on Friday, May 24th, 2019, mother of five, 50-year-old Jennifer Dulos vanished near her new Cannon, Connecticut home after she had dropped her kids off at their new Cannon Country School on Frogtown Road at 8 a.m., just around the corner from her home. Knowing that Jennifer would never have willingly abandoned her family, she was reported missing at 7 p.m. that evening by her worried family and friends. At the time of her disappearance, Jennifer was in the midst of a custody battle with her estranged husband, Fotis Dulos. The two got married in 2004. They filed for divorce in 2017, and now the story is taking place in 2019. That same year, Jennifer had filed for an emergency order for full custody of their five children, though court documents indicate that this was denied. Jennifer and Fotis were granted shared custody of the children until the end of their divorce proceedings. She was filing for full custody with the claim that her husband's behavior was irrational, unsafe, bullying, threatening, and controlling. She said that she was afraid for her safety as well as the physical safety and emotional well-being of her children. She felt that Fotis was very capable of hurting her children in order to punish her, saying that when he feels that he has been wronged, he is dangerous, he is ruthless, and he must always win at all costs. Got to watch out for people like that. Mm -hmm. During the divorce, his business was also suffering. He was spending a lot of money on lawyer fees. So it it was not a good situation happening at the time that she went missing. So Jennifer said that May of 2017, Fotis had threatened to kidnap their children if she didn't agree to his divorce terms in the settlement and that he'd even purchased a gun that year. Be nice if you can have this in writing or something. But, well, uh, she did. She, did. She, oh. she put this all in writing. No, I mean, if uh, he texted her or something like that. Oh, you know, that'd true. Be, then it would nice be solid proof. Right. He was a pretty successful and smart guy. So he probably knew not to put it down in writing. Yeah. So, um, again, he had purchased a gun that year, so she really was feeling threatened. She claimed that on June 3rd, 2017, Fotis became enraged and out of control when there was a conflict in scheduling activities for the children that Saturday. She said that she tried to leave the room and go upstairs. He followed her going into the bedroom that she had entered. He closed the door and blocked her exit. She said that while she was trapped, he verbally attacked her and physically intimidated her. 
her. She said that he she was fearful of her husband, and she knew that with her filing for divorce, he would try to somehow retaliate and harm her, you know, some way, somehow. It's such a tough situation to be in, just knowing that this is the best thing for you and your children, but at the same time, you're putting your children and yourself at risk in your own view. That's mm-hmm. uh, a tough, tough situation. Very scary. I'm sure she felt very much out of control. So Fotis claimed that he had legally purchased this gun in 2017 for his own home security. He denied that he had bullied her, that he had controlled or threatened his wife in any way. Well, it's just his word against hers. He said, she said, you know, so he also denied threatening to kidnap the children. Fotis claimed that Jennifer called him a psychopath and told the children that their father didn't care about them. He said that she also told the children that she would make sure that the divorce took two and a half years and that she could have the mafia break their father's legs with a baseball bat. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, It sounds a little fishy, but uh, who knows? Especially that they're all 13 and under. So why would you tell a, a little child... I'm going to take two and a half years to divorce your father. Like, what does that mean to them? Nothing. I don't know. It sounds like a bunch of horseshit. So in December of 2017, he emailed Jennifer and Fotis wrote, our children deserve a mother and a father, not one or the other. And if we cannot live together, we can at least get along for their sake and benefit. You know what? You don't have to be together in order to have a father and, no. a, and a mother. Mm-mm. I mean, there's a lot of you know families out there that you know just didn't work between the mom and the dad, but you know they make it happen anyways. Like our good friends uh, you know, on the podcast uh, say, you know, the divorce is always an option. So. Yes, and it's a better option than murder. Right. Let's just say that. And, you know, we all know the statistics with marriage. They're not great. It's more than, what, is it more than 50% or is it around 50%? Um, I Yeah, I, I think 50% is a good one to go on. So, you know, flip a coin. That's the odds that you're going to stay married. And oftentimes, there are kids involved. And no matter what's going on, if you, you know, catch your husband or wife cheating, whatever happened that they wronged you, it's not the children's fault and it's not their responsibility to be put in the middle. But it's, it's a very tough situation. And the podcast buddies are uh, till death to us part. I just remember their name. So (laughs) I'm sorry. I I got a lot of problems. It's been a long day. We've been at the Little League fields for countless hours. So you're forgiven, Mike. So the police believe that Jennifer vanished on Friday, May 24th, 2019. Again, after she dropped her children off at school, she was believed to be driving her 2017 black Chevy Suburban at the time. She was last seen at about 8.05 a.m., Later that morning, she was scheduled for a dentist appointment in New York City. She never made it. So this was officially when it was noticed that she wasn't there. So um, she failed to pick up her children. And this was alarming because this was not like Jennifer. She showed up. She was there. So, you know, then family gets notified that she's not there to pick up the kids. They immediately knew that something must ter- be terribly wrong. Well, I'm sure they, you know, family knows well about Fotis and his capabilities and mm-hmm. things. So they're thinking of him right away. So the children were sent to stay with Jennifer's mom, Gloria Faber, in New York City. And less than 24 hours later, a silver alert was issued for Jennifer. When police searched her new Canon rental home the night that she went missing, they found traces of blood on the garage floor as well as blood spatter. The scene appeared that it had been cleaned before detectives have dis- had discovered it. There were swirling marks of blood on the other cars that were in the garage. 
When her car was found in Waveney Park a little over an hour later, the tailgate was backed up against the tree, a, a tree, I should say. The car was not running. Her keys were not in the ignition. The gear shift, w- gear shift was placed in reverse. The car was locked and the passenger shot side sh- uh, seat showed signs of a blood-like substance. So it wasn't looking good. There was no activity from her cell phone or her banking banking cards after she had gone missing. Connecticut State Police searched the area around the 300 acres of the park where her car was found, handing out flyers, utilizing canines, conducting aerial surveys, searching the woods, the ponds. It was very difficult because there was a lot of ground to cover and a lot of trees making it difficult to search. But regardless, they did. They found no sign of Jennifer. Because of the evidence found in Jennifer's home, police believe that Jennifer suffered serious physical assault and the case was officially being treated as a homicide. Police spoke with nine joggers who run at the same time typically every single morning in the park. They had seen pictures of Jennifer. They said, no, I've never seen that girl here before. She did not have any registration for Waveney permits with the Parks and Recreation Department. So they weren't thinking that she actually went to the park and went missing there. They think whatever happened happened in the garage, hence the blood spatter and, and evidence found there. Absolutely. I mean, you have smearing and stuff like that's That's mm-hmm. messy, messy stuff. Spatter, smearing. It looked like somebody tried to clean it. And then they find her car in this very precarious position and they see blood, traces of blood in the car. So it's odds are something bad happened in the garage and she was taken to that spot. Right. But where is she? There's no sign of her anywhere. So many areas were searched for Jennifer beyond just the park, including homes associated with her estranged husband's building company to a property in Westchester County in New York that's owned by Jennifer's family, as well as a garbage processing plant in Hartford where the city's trash is brought. Jennifer's children continued to stay with Gloria in New York City in the meantime while all of this is happening. Gloria was also in the midst of a legal battle with FOTUS. According to court documents, Gloria and her late husband's estate accused FOTUS of failing to repay them $1.7 million in loans that the luxury home builder used to purchase and build custom homes as part of his business. Wow. So a lot of money. Yeah. Fotis was, of course, placed at the top of the list of suspects. We always start with the partner going through a contentious divorce. There's a custody battle happening. There's a lot of motive here. Yeah, a lot of animosity between the two, you know, history. So Mm -hmm. that's, I mean, red flags all over the place. Yeah. And he initially handed over his phone to police voluntarily. Then he quickly asked for it back after they (laughs) obtained. Actually, uh, you know what? Give me that phone back. I don't think, uh, let me do something real quick here. Just uh, real quick. I I forgot. to check something yeah it's it's a little iffy um and i will tell you that uh an investigator said that he did not seem concerned that jennifer was missing there was no sense of fear in him very you know alarming behavior you got to sell it a little bit better yeah their photos so again he asked for a cell phone back but they obtained a search warrant and once they got his phone um they discovered that he had been on albany avenue in hartford right around 7 p.m the night that she went missing on may 24th 
So, um, you know, the the location tracker showed that he was there. So then police go to this area where his cell phone was pinging. They ask the businesses for locals, uh, you know, the CCTV footage for this area. And they find very clear surveillance video of Fotis discarding black garbage bags and other items along Albany Avenue in various garbage cans on the evening that Jennifer disappeared. Hey, I say it once, I say it a million times. Thank God for idiots. Exactly. So it's like, did you not think to leave your cell phone somewhere else? I guess guess you didn't. Maybe make sure there's no cameras and things. Maybe go to a remote area. Yeah, and that's just the thing. If you're going anywhere that's populated, there's going to be cameras. Especially right now. Like you say, thank goodness people aren't very good criminals. Yeah. So, of course, detectives go to this area. They search these garbage cans where they see him placing items. They found clothing that was matching Jennifer's size, ponchos, zip ties. The items were covered in blood. They matched Jennifer's DNA, which confirmed what they suspected, that this was a homicide. I'm, I'm cheering because I like when we can actually put it on him, mm-hmm. you know, like get him in jail and get, you know, give him the maximum sentence. Right. You need these things in order to prove their guilt. So as they're observing this video, you can clearly see his truck pulled to the side of the road. He's, you know, discarding these bags into the garbage can. And they see another person in the video. She's in Fotis's truck. And she was later identified as his girlfriend, Michelle Traconis. Yeah, I was going to say she. Uh, mm-hmm. Good chance that this is the guy, girl, she's he's stepping. So Michelle met Fotis back in 2016. It was around this time that his 12-year marriage was beginning to crumble. The couple were living separate lives. They lived in a massive house that Fotis had built in his farm in Farmington, Connecticut. Jennifer was more introverted. She was very focused on her day-to-day life, for caring for her home, for her five children. That was what was important to Jennifer. She was a mom of five little children. That's a lot to handle. Yeah, she dedicated herself. Exactly. That was her priority. She was born into wealth and privilege in New York City. She was the daughter of a father who made a fortune in finance. Fotis was born in Turkey. He was raised in Athens, Greece. He was an extrovert. And they often say that opposites attract. You know, he might have been somebody that pulled her out of her shell. Yeah, you and me. I mean, you know, you're very planned and calculated. And I'm kind of like, hey, whatever. Fly by the seat of your pants. So he thrived on excitement of athletic competition. Jennifer was a playwright and co-founder of a theater group and put her passions into loving and writing about her children. She was described as a runner, someone with a keen mind, an infectious giggle, though she prioritized her children to the top of her list. Her world revolved around her children and her family. Fotis was an international water skiing champion. He had hoped that his children would then follow in these footsteps and interests of his. And they were on that path. So Jennifer met Fotis while at Brown University back in 1986 in Providence, Rhode Island. Wow, so she's smart. Very smart. And it, they they were not romantically involved at that time. It wasn't until 17 years later that they met again at the Aspen Airport that things at that point became romantic. So they both went to Brown University? Mm-hmm. Well, okay. Fotis was an ambitious real estate developer. Again, he was a builder of luxury custom homes. And when I say luxury, I mean, they were massive. Yeah. And it was kind of like when I watched the Real Housewives of New Jersey, where there's a lot of sprawling land, like you're on your property, your neighbor is not within, you know, close distance. Yeah. Yeah. So beautiful, beautiful, awesome homes. So he was the owner of a company called Four Group. 
After marrying in 2004, the couple settled in Farmington, Connecticut, and it's an upscale area outside of Hartford. They were described as very happy. They had their first set of twins within two years of getting married. Then they had their second set of twins two years later, and then their daughter was born two years after that. And they moved into their mansion at 4 Jefferson Crossing. It was a magnificent home that Fotis built to raise their children together. The home was more than 10,000 square feet. The current Zestimate, just to give you an idea, is about $2.4 million. Jennifer began to feel that Fotis was becoming obsessed with water skiing and the idea of his children following suit. She felt that he was pushing them too hard, which was affecting their well-being. The kids competing internationally at six and seven years old. So they were young. It's quite a niche, um, you know, water skiing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's interesting. I, I, you know, he has the resources to get his kids into that kind of stuff. Right. So I guess, hey, go all for it. And they were good. So Jennifer tried to shield and protect her children, and this led to fighting and problems within their marriage. So animosity is beginning to build between the couple. Despite their appearance of, you know, a family with these five beautiful children, this amazingly beautiful house, you know, it was all a front. They're this beautiful couple, and in, in the meantime, under the surface, it's just riddled with cracks. So Instagram looks really good, but, you know, behind the scenes, different story. Yeah, it's falling apart. That's how it is a lot of times, unfortunately. So while traveling for competitions, Fotis met Michelle, who was also a talented athlete, and it didn't take long for the pair to fall in love. They met in Miami, and they fell madly in love, but the problem was... Fotis was still very much married and living with his wife and five children. And kids, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Michelle reported for ESPN in South America. She uh, mostly talked about snow skiing. She loved to ride horses. She was a single mother from Venezuela. She was also a competitive water skier, so they shared a lot in common. So he's got to love that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the grass is always greener on the other side. Sure is. I tell you, so many girls I look at, I'm like, oh, man, (laughs) your grass looks greener. I got to cut this old ball and chain out of my life. (laughs) Yeah. So Michelle's family claimed that she never intended to be the other woman. At the time that she met Fotis, she was under the impression that he was actively separated and seeking divorce. She didn't know the truth until long after she uprooted her own life. She moved with her daughter to Connecticut. And she claims, you know, she would have never done this had she known the actual truth. Yeah, I'm sure Fotis was a smooth talker. Mm -hmm. And he was a good looking guy. So, you know, lots of money. It's a charming situation. Sure. I mean, every, every person wants security. Yeah. So it's a very attractive thing. In March of 2017, Jennifer learned of her husband's affair. She confronted him. He confessed that, yes, I I am having an affair. She left him, and she moved herself and her children 70 miles away to a rental home in New Canaan, Connecticut. Meanwhile, Fotis moved Michelle and her daughter into the home that he once shared with his family. The relationship between Fotis and Jennifer quickly turned very bitter, and this is where a contentious divorce and custody battle began. Well, now, Jennifer, you said, comes for money, right? So she mm-hmm. will probably be fine financially oh, right? very much in, in so. this situation. So yeah. why can't Fotis just get a divorce and just take care of things? I mean, I'm sure he's worried about losing money that he views as his, but... I'm sorry to tell you guys out there, you get married and you don't, there's no prenup, then it's 50-50, man. That's just how it is. Well, and we do know that he was borrowing money from Jennifer's family. He was $1.7 million in the hole because yeah. he, he borrowed from her mom. 
Um, and, you know, I'm sure he was successful, but he maybe wasn't from money like Jennifer was. And, you know, she moved into another beautiful house 70 miles away. So, yeah, she had security on her side financially. We do know from the beginning that she said if he felt like he had been wronged, he would fight tooth and nail to be right. True. So he was kind of like a rat backed into a corner at this point. More than just money. Yeah, exactly. Um, so at this point in time, a court order denied his girlfriend to have any contact with his children. So he's basically losing shared physical custody. He could have his children, but not in the presence of Michelle. And Michelle is living at his home. Yeah. So, so he, he basically, in all intents and purposes, lost custody. Yeah. He, they can't be at your home. Yes. Like, you go rent some other place. Right. So he was allowed to come and see his kids, but they couldn't be at his house if she was there. So on June 1st, which is the day after police observed the CCTV footage of Fotis and Michelle on Albany Avenue, the couple was arrested. They were charged with tampering with evidence and hindering prosecution. They were unable to place him in New Cannon, though, at the, you know, the day that Jennifer went missing. They just know what they saw on film. It did not look good. But again, they couldn't place him at Jennifer's home on the day that she did go missing. His phone uh, placed him at his home. Michelle is confirming this alibi. She said that they were at the house 70 miles away from where Jennifer was living. They had woken up. They had had sex and they had taken a shower together. Oh, beautiful. So again, she's giving him an alibi. They were both released on a $500,000 bond, given ankle monitoring monitoring bracelets, and forbidden to interact with each other. So at this point in time, Michelle had to move out of Fotis' home. She got her own apartment. He stayed in his mansion. So then seven months goes by. It's January 7th, 2020. Michelle was arrested, and her charge was upgraded to conspiracy to commit murder. And Fotis was arrested the same day. His charge was upgraded to straight-up murder. Ooh, what'd they find? So Fotis's attorney was focused, and I don't know that they found anything, truly. Huh. Okay. But I'll, I'll, I'll give you a full picture of what they all believe. So I guess I'm wrong in saying that. I'll tell you exactly what they all suspect. Sounds good to me. Yeah, so we'll get there. So um, Fotis's attorney is focusing on the whole no-body, no-murder fact, he was hypothesizing also a potential Gone Girl situation. So have you ever saw that movie or read no. the book? Nope. Um, I don't think I ever saw the movie, but I did read the book. But basically, it's the movie from 2014 that, that starred Ben Affleck. He became the prime suspect in his wife's disappearance. I don't want to give any spoilers, but, you know, there's... Something similar to what we're about yeah. to hear. Okay. So his attorney also theorized the idea of a revenge suicide I don't know how that would happen. Did, was he suspecting she did something in the garage and then drove herself out to where Where would she have put herself if well, she was committing suicide? All these you know, attorneys are trying to do is put a doubt in mm-hmm. there. You, know, you got to have beyond a shadow of a doubt. So if there's any doubt, then you can't convict them. Yeah. And then another person was arrested at this time, Kent Mawinney, which is a friend and occasional lawyer to Fotis. He was charged with conspiracy to com- commit murder as well. He was apparently at Fotis's house the morning that Jennifer went missing. He was very suspicious to police. He was vague during their investigation. Hmm. So all three are pleading not guilty. After spending nine months in jail, Kent was released on a reduced bail, turning on Michelle at this point, implicating her to save himself, according to Michelle's attorney. 
So Chief State Attorney Richard Colangelo believes that. So this is the situation he believes happened on the day that Jennifer went missing. And I can't believe they're held for nine months without yeah. more, more you know, evidence. I'm not sure when um, FOTUS posted bail. I'll tell you a little bit more about that. But um, Kent, anyway, was in jail for nine months. Okay. So this is the picture that the chief state attorney is painting of what they believe happened to Jennifer. So they believe that in the early morning hours of May 24th, 2019, Fotis set out in a red Tacoma pickup truck owned by one of his workers. He took the truck without this person's permission. It sounds like maybe it was a truck that was just kind of like left at the job site. Um, and he, excuse me, without his permission, he left a house that was owned by Fotis's company at 5:35 a.m. He drove 75 miles south to New Cannon. He was this truck was seen on various points. I shouldn't say he because the driver couldn't be identified on these surveillance videos. Allegedly. Yes. So he's seen on various points of the surveillance video along the way. The truck was later seen near the park, this Waveney Park where Jennifer's SUV was found. It was basically seen on a passing school bus camera at about 7.57 a.m. It was parked on a country road right near Waveney Park. From this location, they believe that Fotis took a bike with him and biked the three miles to Jennifer's house, that he waited for her to return home from dropping her children off at school. He knew the routine. He knew when she'd be coming back. Of course. And when Jennifer would have come through the garage and entered, he violently assaulted her. Mm -hmm. He left his DNA on the doorknob to the mudroom, as well as on a faucet in the house mixed with Jennifer's DNA. After about two hours spent cleaning up the crime scene, they believe that he placed her body in the back of her own SUV and drove it to where it was found three and a half miles away, which was only about 100 feet away from where the Tacoma had been seen parked at the park by this passing school bus. So they can't account for the next 40 minutes, but they believe it's possible that he was transferring incriminating materials from Jennifer's SUV to the Tacoma pickup truck. Her body was likely transferred in the Tacoma pickup truck and taken north. The Tacoma returned then to the house where it started off at 535 that morning, this 80 Mountain Spring Road, at 12.22 p.m. Fotis then met Michelle for lunch around 1 p.m. that day. After lunch, they both went back to 80 Mountain Spring Road. They claimed to have been cleaning the house, Michelle telling them that Fotis was getting ready to show the home to a client. So instead, the detectives believe that they were likely bagging up evidence that they later saw Fotis discarding into these garbage cans on Albany Avenue. As Michelle, the the mistress, how do you like support this? You know, like, I don't know. I I would hope that she wouldn't have idea that Fotis killed his own wife or, you know, future ex-wife, whatever. That's sickening. I would I would hope she did not know a thing. That yeah. that would be my goal. So five days later, they took the Tacoma to be detailed. They do know this. Um, the investigators said by the time they got to the truck, it was absolutely immaculate. They could have eaten off the floor. Got to ask the person that detailed it. Yeah. So basically, they um, found out that the employee who owned the truck told investigators that Fotis had instructed him to replace the car seats in this 20-year-old work truck. 
Little did Fotis realize that the employee did this, but he kept the old seats. Nice. So I guess he had them in his own garage. Investigators found out about this. The employee willingly handed them over. Yes. Lo and behold, on the passenger seat, there was blood, which matched Jennifer's DNA. Fantastic that we found it and can get this mother effort. So all the pieces of the puzzle are coming together. You know, we see Jennifer's blood in the garage. Fotis's DNA is on the mudroom door. They see this Tacoma right 100 feet from where her car ultimately was parked. It's all caught on various points on, you know, CCTV footage, and boom, the blood is in the Tacoma. Hey, fantastic police work uh, thus far. That, that's a great job by this uh, this police department. The one problem was they Nobody. couldn't identify that it was Fotis driving the Tacoma. Yeah. You know, they see it being driven, but they don't see who. Yeah, that's tough. So at this point in time, Fotis was under house arrest. He was awaiting trial after posting $6 million bond. Ooh. And it's now Tuesday, January 28th, 2020, and police found Fotis unresponsive at his Farmington, Connecticut home. Ah, uh, what a scumbag. He was found unresponsive inside his running car in his garage. They performed CPR. You could see all of this via a drone camera before they set up like tents over him to, you know obscure the the view yeah. they were actively doing cpr on the driveway they at one point shocked him back to life using a defibrillator he was found during a welfare check after he failed to show up for a bond hearing that could have sent him back to prison Fotis had been able to post his six million dollar bond with financial help from someone named anna curry she was from north carolina she contributed like close to one hundred and fifty thousand in cash why I'll tell you a little bit more about that. Okay. She promised to pay another 272000 in 15 installments on the 9th of every month until April of 2021. She was a former co-worker of his and was said to be his best friend. Ah, interesting. She signed a $3 million promissory note. One of the two indemnitors, that was a word I'd never heard, listed on the document, um, the other was a high-profile private investigator from Fairfield County. They're signing this to, like, vouch for him. Hmm. Anna Curry had been at Fotis's home the morning that he was found unresponsive. She left right before 10.30 a.m. to go run some errands. When she returned just past noon, this is the scene she's coming upon. All these people are in his driveway. He's actively being resuscitated. So from there, he was transferred to Yukon Health for treatment. He was later phoned to, or I'm sorry, flown to Jacoby Medical Center in the Bronx. It's funny how like we waste so many resources on a piece of shit. <clears throat> I know. Who, uh, decided to take their own life because they're a coward little piece of shit. Well, he was being treated in the ICU in critical condition, but um, two days later, it was January 30th, he was taken off of life support and pronounced dead. Good. So he died from carbon monoxide poisoning from suicide. He left a suicide note, and he was claiming his innocence in this note I saw. That's why you killed yourself, Fotis. Yeah, right? you were so innocent. Yeah. So he wrote in his note, I refuse to spend even an hour more in jail for something that I have nothing to do with. Right. He also wrote that both Michelle and Kent had no involvement as well. Many believe that this suicide was just a clear admission of guilt, myself included. 100%, you're guilty and a piece of shit and hope you're up in, you're out in hell. And he knew what was going to happen at that bond hearing that he was scheduled to go to. It was very, very likely he was going to bounce right back in prison and never be released again. So, you know, he decided to do that and then left his five children with absolutely no parents. What a nice, good guy. He, you were so worried about them having a husband and a wife, you know, a mom and a dad. Mm -hmm. You just took your own life. You 
dirtbag. So at this point in time, now Michelle is in this precarious legal position facing the potential of years in prison for the death of a woman that she had never even met and whose body has never been found. That's the worst part, man, especially for the family. You know, you just want the closure like we talk about a lot. It's it's tough. It's It's terrible. And now the person who likely had something to do with it is gone, but they don't know what does Michelle know at this point. Yeah. So Michelle's family spoke with 48 Hours in Connecticut. They said that when Michelle moved in with her young daughter to be with Fotis, she was told by Fotis that he was going through an amicable divorce. Meanwhile, that wasn't even the case at all. He was just cheating on his wife at that point. Then the contentious divorce began. They claim that she had, had she known the truth, she would have never uprooted her life and taken her daughter to that kind of situation. Michelle's younger sister, Claudia, insists that Michelle had nothing to do with Jennifer's death, saying that she has never been a violent or vengeful person. She points out she herself is a mother. She would never do this to another mother. When the surveillance video was discussed that showed Michelle and Fotis's truck as he was discarding these items in various trash receptacles along Albany Avenue. Michelle's attorney, John Schoenhorn, says that there's no evidence that Michelle knew that Jennifer was missing at that point in time in the day and that she had no idea what was inside these black bags. Yeah, I mean, it's it's feasible, right? It's possible, sure. Yeah. It, I mean, it, what it kind is. Of a sane, you want to think what kind of a sane person would go along with this. Right. And you would hope that Michelle, as a mother, would not want to you know, be part of somebody other mother's death and murder. So, I, I mean, you have to believe them until you find out otherwise. Right, and there is no evidence to believe she had anything to do with it. The other thing is, she herself should be scared for her own life. If he's capable of doing this to the mother of his five children, I'd be scared shitless if I were her. I'd get the hell out of there. So according to Michelle, you know, Fotis had like um, played the day out like saying, hey, you want to go to Starbucks and get something to drink? So that's where they were. That's according to Michelle. That's where they were going. He did tell her that he had to take care of a few things on the way. She said that the whole time they were driving and he's stopping at these various bins, she's completely distracted. She was on her phone. She was on WhatsApp. She's FaceTiming. She's completely oblivious to what it is he's doing. Well, we can all, we've all been there. Mm-hmm. You know, you're in a drive through waiting for food and like 15 minutes seems like it's two minutes because you're on TikTok or whatever. So in the CCTV footage, Michelle can be seen opening the passenger side door of the truck and leaning out. When asked what it is she was doing at that point, her attorney said that she had tried to dispose of her gum out the window. It got stuck to her finger, so she opened the door and like rubbed it on the sidewalk. And that is what it looked like she was doing in the video. She was never out of the truck putting anything in these garbage bins. She was in the passenger side. The only reason they even saw her in the CCTV footage was because she did lean out and rub her hand on the ground. And that's like the crazy thing because she was also held for nine months in jail, right? Like I believe so. All three so. of them, it sounds like. I, it so, sounds like it. Yeah, that's that's a long time. But uh, yeah, you got to believe them until you're otherwise. So Sean Horn, her attorney, says that there, again, is no physical evidence that was recovered that indicates that Michelle was involved in Jennifer's murder. Connecticut investigators claim that she has changed her story Mm. over the course of three interviews, and they believe she knows much more than what she is claiming. So by the third interview with police, Michelle said that she did lie when she said Fotis was with her, that they had had sex, they had taken a shower. He was not there, Mm. but he did leave his phone behind, she's saying. And we know he did because that's where his phone was showing, that he never left the house at that point. Okay. So Michelle is currently out on bond as she awaits trial. 
As of just this past Thursday, April 6th, she no longer has to wear her GPS ankle monitor. Interesting uh, choice because she probably knows more. She's currently living in Colorado with her teenage daughter. She's due back in court later this month in April. You know, my only thought is that she lied for him because she was afraid of him. She was just put in this precarious situation. I don't know. Yeah. We do know she lied for him, though. That's a fact. Right. Because she told police he had an alibi. He was with me that morning. We we rolled around in the hay, and then we showered together. That was a blatant a lie. lie. Mm. So why did she lie? I don't know. I mean, did she say anything about that at all? Not that mm. I've heard, no. So couldn't as Jennifer's family, couldn't she be like, okay, we're going to let her get off scot-free as long as she tells us exactly what happened. And maybe Fotis didn't tell her, you know, where, where the body is or anything mm-hmm. like that. But I mean... Because one of the investigators was saying, you know, maybe we can work out a reduced sentence so that... You know, if you tell us where where is Jennifer so that we can bring her home to her family, that they can get some closure, they can put her to rest, that maybe, you know, this will, she'll say something, but maybe she doesn't know anything. Yeah, um, it's doubtful she knows anything, but at the same time, you lied during an investigation to a murder. That's what I'd want to know. Why did you lie? Why I, did you say he was with you that morning and he clearly wasn't? It's tough because she's a mother, you know, of a teenager, but I think you deserve some time in jail, unfortunately. So, yeah, you, you made a bad decision here. I mean, she definitely messed with the investigation. She yeah, lied. Right. She gave him an alibi that he didn't have yeah yeah and that probably took more resources and time so you can't do that and you know now fotis is gone and we might never know and it's i get it if you're like i was scared for my life whatever yeah that makes complete sense if it comes out that's the thing sure but and you know jennifer did say there's many many documents before anything happened to her that she she said i fear for my life yeah. And now she's gone. Right. So obviously he's a threatening person. He made her feel unsafe. She went and had this documented. Was he doing anything like this to Michelle? Sure. I don't know. She she may have been scared shitless. I don't know. Yeah. Hopefully we find out. I hope so. Because again, it, this is all still going on. She's due back in court later on this month. Investigators remain hopeful that one day they will find Jennifer's remains. Where the hell are they? Mm. We know he spent time in Waveney Park. It's a very large area. Is it possible she was buried there? It's yeah. of course it's possible. Right. And it's also possible that he drove there and wanted to like throw him off the scent too. Mm-hmm. So. But her car was found there. Yeah. So I don't know. It's it's we don't know. So the children remain being raised in New York City by Jennifer's mother. They've lost both of their parents. It sucks for the kids. Terrible. You know, you know, your dad's likely a murderer and your mom got murdered. Um, and it's funny because Fotis' sister like is hardcore that he was innocent. Really? Like, man. Was she out of her mind? Looking at her face and her nieces or her daughters, his nieces, like they spent the Christmas that he was out on bond with him at his home, cooking together, believing his innocence. Like, like there's a good chance this guy had is a bad person. Yeah. Like, you know, man, man. I just, I don't think my loyalty runs that deep. Mine because definitely doesn't. If it was my own brother, and how do you explain yourself out of this? Yeah. How do you? I was going to be like, you know what? Let's just not do Christmas this year. Let's just kind of take it easy. You know, I wish you the best, but maybe we shouldn't be hanging out. It feels wrong that you possibly murdered your wife. Yeah. Yeah. And Fotis's sister is like, you know, he never got sentenced to, he never got convicted of her murder. So in our eyes, he's still an innocent man. It's like, yeah, because he 
committed suicide to get out of the situation. And that was coward. his his cowardly way of getting out of this situation. It was not facing justice because he knew yeah. he was had. Right. But I mean, wow, that kind of dedication to a family member. Whew, wow. So friends and family feel that the children embody Jennifer's spirit since she did such a great job of instilling them with love. Jennifer left behind a legacy in words with her writing. One of the things she wrote was breathe, be alive, slow down, enjoy life, do less, but live more fully, healthy, calm, joyful, and at peace. And I pray that Jennifer's family will get some closure and they will find her so that they could lay her to rest and, you know, be able to go and pay their respects in whatever way they choose to do. Right. It's just my heart just breaks for these kids. Um, I wonder if they're still on water skiing. I don't know. I mean, I know as the grandparents, you'd want to be spiteful. Be like, water skiing's done, by the way. Mm-hmm. It's not water skiing's fault, but you know, that was Fotos' thing. Yeah, and you know, it's it's hard because I'm sure these kids loved their father. Yeah, and they probably enjoyed the water skiing as well. I'm yeah, I'm sure he was a decent fun guy that bought them all sorts of fun stuff. Sure, they traveled internationally to do these things, and it's just not fair to them that I I believe without a shred of doubt that their father killed their mother. But that's just, I my heart just breaks for them, really. Yeah, it's too bad. And Jennifer's family to not truly know what, what happened to their daughter. Well, we'll watch and see what happens to Michelle. If we yeah. get any updates, we'll probably talk about it on the show, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Well, thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, I have a great idea. Go down in the show notes and click the button that says Patreon, um, because you can become a patron and you get access to like 25 episodes, like boom, lickety split, depending on whichever level you choose. So I want to say thank you and welcome to the Crime and Coffee Couple Club. To the following, Elise, Stacy, Tracy, Olivia, uh, wonderful. And we're getting like patrons from all over the, the whole globe. So yeah. it's really cool. Like I have to look up the conversions of everything. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, well, there's Canadian dollars and Australian and, you know, all sorts of stuff. So it's really cool. We've got a really cool community. Yeah, I think it's pretty awesome that, you know, people from all walks of life and different countries and different laws here and there, like, we're all just kind of connecting. Yeah, and on Instagram, people give their two cents, and it's so cool to hear like your thoughts and stuff. Like, like the so. case we did last week that happened in Copenhagen. Yeah, you know, just uh, we were saying, you know, the laws of you know life in prison really averages about sixteen to seventeen years, and hearing someone's take on that, yeah, it's just so interesting and fascinating. Very much so. So, so. we appreciate each and every one of you for being here. Thank you, thank you, thank you again for coming back to join us. And until next time, bye. bye. That was the worst one we've ever had. Terrible. Let's do one more. Bye.